Hi friends, how are you today? My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi, my name is Bailey Sarian and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my knock in and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button because I'm here for you on Mondays. This one's high, always requested and that is uh, Jodi Arias. You know her? Well, let me tell you, she's crazy. She's, look, I, she's different. Great. Glad we had this talk. So first we're going to start with Travis Alexander. So Travis was born July 29th, 1977. And growing up, Travis said that his life was pretty rough. He was one of eight siblings and his parents were both meth addicts. It would, they would leave the kids to pretty much fend for themselves most of the times. Travis remembered his mom sleeping for like four days straight and the kids tried their best to make dinner with what was left in the kitchen, which was like nothing more than can canned soup or spoiled food. So as Travis got older, he knew like his only option to saving himself was to get out of there. So he pretty much moved away to Riverside, California to live with his grandmother. Now his grandmother, she took him in. She was a Mormon and she introduced him to her faith. Now Travis took his new faith very seriously. He went to church consistently and was dedicated to his new religion. Even as he grew up and gained his own independence, he was still very loyal. So when Travis graduated high school, that's when he went on a mission with his church, which is kind of like a rite of passage. After that, he then moved to Mesa, Arizona because it was known for its Mormon faith-based community. Mesa, Arizona, it's located pretty close to Phoenix and is a good size. It's a good size city with like a warm desert climate. Not even warm, it's hot as balls out there. Don't even lie. I don't know how you guys do it out there. You guys are wild. Which honestly, that was new for me. I didn't know Mesa, Arizona was like Mormon based. So reading that, I was like, oh, good to know. I don't know why, but I didn't know that, fun fact. So then Travis got a job with Prepaid Legal Services, which was a multi-level marketing company now known as Legal Shield. Multi-level marketing or direct selling is massive in the Mormon community. They're often called, you know, pyramid schemes and not really known for being the most legit way to do business. So Travis is working there and he also found a passion as a motivational speaker, so sharing his story and his struggles with others who have maybe gone through the same thing as him, his his rough upbringing. He beat the odds. He he broke the cycle, got away from drugs. I was a kid, like that's that's great. And he just wanted to share that story. I support that. He was also writing a book about everything that he had been through called Raising Me and also worked on a blog where he was sharing his story, his thoughts, all that stuff. Now at the age of 29, Travis was pretty successful. He was good looking. He had a lot of friends. He loved making people laugh and was known to be quite a flirt. With his work success, he was able to buy his own home and he also rented out two rooms to his friends and also had a little black pug named Napoleon. Yeah, I mean, things just seem to be going really well for Travis. Now we are going to talk a little bit about Jody, who is the other player in this story, the killer, let's just say it, cause she is. Now Jody, 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 Jody. 
So Jody was born July 9th, 1980 in Salinas, California. Now she was the oldest of three and there's really not much said about her upbringing. It seemed somewhat normal. In middle school, her parents discovered that she was attempting to grow weed in some Tupperware and she was storing it on their roof. Her parents come across this, they find it, right? So her parents then are like, okay, we're gonna search your room because we need to see what else you got. You got the devil's lettuce? Not today. They go through her room and Jody said that they were invading her personal space and she just felt like the trust between them was completely broken. Jody would write in her diary a lot saying how her parents completely violated her space. But it's like, babe, you're middle school, you're growing weed, like what do you expect? And I mean, that was like one thing about her upbringing. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like her parents seemed to, to try. They tried and I don't know where it went wrong. So when Jody was in high school, the family moved to a new town and Jody would write in her diary how she felt like really out of place, like she didn't belong there. She seemed very upset and very alone. Like she really didn't have anyone to talk to. So her parents described her as being intelligent, but strange. Her father would say that they thought perhaps maybe Jody was bipolar because she would be fine one second and then the next second she would fly into a fit of rage. Her dad said that Jody was very verbally abusive towards her mother, but was the kind of person that never took responsibility for her actions. There seemed to be like some kind of tension going on between Jody and her parents. She was hard to understand, but they seemed like they tried their, their best to raise her. Refills. So in high school, this is when Jody was introduced to photography and she found just a new love. She enjoyed taking photos and would take them at any chance she could. Now in 2004, she moved down to Palm Desert, California with a boyfriend that she had been seeing at the time. The couple, they had moved into a home together and Jody was still doing photography, but she also got a job working as a saleswoman for a place called Legal Shield, the prepaid legal service that Travis also worked for. So September 2006, Legal Shield was holding a work conference in Las Vegas where they had a bunch of their employees come out, travel expenses covered. Great. Go to Vegas, all paid? You don't gotta tell me twice. So at this like convention, they would meet different team members. They would attend different speaking events, get motivated to sell, 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 you know. So on one of the nights, there were a group of people meeting up to have dinner at the Rainforest Cafe. Bougie. A group of people, including Jody, were there. They're like standing outside, kind of waiting to be called in to be seated. So then Travis walks up to the to the group and introduces himself. And he goes up to Jody and he's like, Hi, I'm Travis. And everyone who was around them said that there was an instant connection between Jody and Travis. They just really hit it off. So the whole dinner, the two they talked and they got to know one another. Travis seemed smitten. Friends and coworkers were excited because Travis had been single for a long time and everybody was just really rooting for him to find the one, the one that he was going to marry. So when they saw uh, Jody and Travis chatting it up, everyone was like, oh yeah, like she's the one. This is so great. I'm so happy for him. Anyway, so that night Jody and Travis, they stayed up until four in the morning just talking about life, religion, and 
everything. So the next day, Travis was telling coworkers and friends that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her and that Jody was just perfect. The only downside was that she wasn't Mormon. He couldn't be with her unless she became Mormon. So once the work convention was over, Jody and Travis, they exchanged phone numbers, but they both had to go their separate ways. Travis went back to Mesa, Arizona, and Jody went back to Palm Desert. They did keep in contact, pretty much forming a long distance relationship. So remember how I said that Jody was in a relationship? Yeah, she was. So <laughs> she goes back home with her boyfriend. She ends up breaking it off with the guy. She knew it wasn't going anywhere. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have a family one day. And her current boyfriend was already married once before. And he did not want to do that again. So they broke up. Jody and Travis still kept in touch and Travis thought that maybe he can introduce the Mormon religion to Jody. So he gave her the Book of Mormon and he invited her to church a couple of times. He had Mormon missionaries go out to her home, knock on the door. They're like, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? or whatever they say nowadays. Travis said that when, like anytime he spoke to Jody, he would always try and sneak in, you know, some Bible quotes, just trying to give her a good impression of the Mormon religion. He later gave her a CTR ring, which is like a purity ring. He gave her some Jesus paintings and their church president's biography. Some sources had said that Jody, she already had been taking an interest in Mormonism before meeting Travis, probably because of her job. It was like all Mormons working there, but it seems like their relationship is what really got her more involved with the church. So only two months later on November 26, 2006, Jody was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Travis was the one who baptized her. So she was in. In February of 2007, Jody and Travis made it official. Still, they were living in different states, but they would call and email often. The two of them, they would take a lot of vacations together because they didn't live in the same place. So it just became easier to like meet at a location, spend some time together. Jody would bring her camera and they would take a bunch of pictures. They bought this book that was like a thousand places you have to see before you die. And they were um, going through that list and just traveling together. So over the course of their relationship, they exchanged 82,000 emails and they sexted often. The couple had some hot steamy sex and Travis would refer to Jody as his kryptonite. Now in the Mormon faith, having sexual relations is a big nay nay. I mean, a big one though, but Travis and Jody were giving into temptation and getting all sorts of freaky. Occasionally, Jody would bring her camera into the bedroom with the two of them, you know, for some memories. Travis said at the time, it felt like he had a big weight on his shoulders because he knew like what he was doing and he knew he shouldn't have been having sex, but he would tell people like he was almost addicted to her. So Jody, again, she was still technically living in Palm Desert, but she would go out to Travis's house in Mesa, Arizona, and she would stay like the night at his house every so often. And friends and roommates, they were there and they said that they just got a really weird feeling about Jody. Not even a weird feeling, they just like didn't like her because they noticed how possessive she was over him. So Travis's friends said that Jody would literally follow him every 
everywhere. Rarely was he seen alone if she was around. Travis would get up and go to the bathroom. Well, guess what? Jody was going to the bathroom too. She would follow him and then she would wait outside the door. She would wait for him. Travis would be on his phone and Jody would be like, who are you talking to? What are you talking about? She would check his phone. She would check his emails. She would hack his MySpace. MySpace was a thing at this point. She would hack his MySpace, read his messages. It was a little much. Travis's friends, they sat him down and they were like, hey, we're worried about you, bud. Jody is very possessive of you and we're just worried that she's gonna hurt you. So they're telling him all of this. And while speaking, they're in Travis's bedroom. Door was shut. And then another friend who was inside was like, I bet you she's outside of the door right now. And they say this like super low, like, Go check. Travis sneaks up to the door and he opens it and ta-da, Jody was indeed standing right outside the door listening in. And I think this was kind of like this eye-opening moment for Travis. He was like, oh my God, like, yeah, this is a problem. So one of Travis's friends pulls Jody aside and just tells the truth. We think, you know, you're very possessive over him and we just don't think you two are a good fit. But all Jody cared about was what Travis thought and if he still just wanted to be with her. It seemed, this is a personal opinion, based off of like the interviews and stuff I've, I watched, it seemed like Jody didn't really care what the friends said. It doesn't matter what you guys think. What does Travis think? So Jody went back home and Travis told Jody, look, it's over, okay? It's just better if we're apart. Please don't contact me any longer. This did not stop Jody, okay? Sure did not. At some point, look, real talk, at some point Jody and Travis do break up over the phone. Jody catches Travis kind of flirting with somebody else and she breaks up with him. And then he goes crawling back to her, begging for her to take him back. And he even proposes to her and she turns him down. And then they get back together. And then I think this happened. I couldn't exactly figure out where that took place. Was it after this or was it before this? So they break up. At least Travis thinks they broke up. That didn't stop Jody though. She would write emails to Travis telling him that she had a stalker and that someone was following her and watching her through the windows. She said that this stalker was telling her that she should be with him, the stalker, and not with Travis because he was in a different state and he didn't deserve her. So Jody's telling um, Travis this in an email that she's scared and whatnot. So Travis is a little worried about Jody and he tells his friends like, oh my gosh, I'm scared for her, she needs help. And then the friends, kind of kick some common sense into him. They're like, no, Jody obviously wrote this, this email herself because she wants you to invite her to live with you. Now this was never proven, but based off of Jody and what she does, you know, I, I believe this is probably true. She just wanted attention from Travis. She was trying to get him to invite her over to his house anything she could. So Jody couldn't afford her house anymore and she had to sell it. Now she said that Travis begged her to move to Mesa to be closer to him, but the reality was she moved about 10 minutes away from Travis and didn't even tell him. No, she moved 10 minutes away from him, didn't tell him. Jody, no. Jody didn't talk to her family much. She didn't really have much of a relationship with them, but she would talk to them every so often. And she told them that she was moving to Mesa because she was planning on marrying Travis. And that's really all they knew. She, they never met Travis, never saw him, rarely saw her. And they were just kind of like, okay, she's getting married apparently. 
So after moving to Mesa, she went to go surprise him, let Travis know that she moved in, you know, just down the street. So she goes over there to his house and she discovers that he's with another girl on what seemed to be a date. She was upset. You're probably wondering how she saw like another girl there and stuff. Well, you best believe Jody's looking through the windows, like a, just a full blown creep. She would keep showing up to his house unannounced. She knew the lock codes, beep, bop, boop, 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 get right in, okay? She would even break into his house through his doggy door. Yeah, she was not welcome. And this is what she was showing. So Travis, well, Travis said that, you know, he would stand his ground, be very upset with Jody, telling her to leave or to get out. And then other times he would give in and he would have her stay over some for some sexual loving. She knew that like he would give in to her. So she kept doing it. Nobody was holding her accountable for her stupid dumb actions that were also illegal. Jody told Travis that she didn't have a job yet and she had no money. So Travis gave her a job cleaning his house and gave her a sexy maid outfit to wear while she's doing it. Travis was trying to move on. He found this girl through his church named Lisa that he was trying to date or at least showing a lot of interest in. Jody was keeping tabs on this new relationship by hacking Travis's social accounts and emails, seeing the messages that the two were sharing. Jody didn't like this, somebody coming up trying to take her man. So she decided, I'm gonna start harassing Lisa. And she would do so by knocking on her house windows and doors late at night, scaring her, obviously. That was Jody. So one night, Lisa and Travis, they're, you know, at Travis's house watching a movie together when Travis's dog starts barking, letting them know somebody's outside. So Travis, he gets up and he's like, I'm gonna go investigate. So he does so, he's looking around outside. Who pops up? It's Jody. Jody was outside the house. She was peeking through some windows. She tells him that she was there watching them sleep. He tells her to leave and she does. But the next morning, Lisa got an email from someone unknown calling her a shameful whore and chastised her in the name of God. Again, there was no proof that it was Jody, but if you use common sense and put two and two together, maybe you can connect the dots here. If Travis went to Lisa's house, he would come outside and find that his tires had been slashed. Jody would write in her journal how unhappy she was and she just wanted to die. Lisa, poor Lisa, who got involved in the middle of this, she had to tap out. She was like, this is too much, I can't handle it. Somehow, Travis convinces Jody to move back to California to live with her grandparents and figure herself out. You know, maybe down the line, we could be friends, we can connect. Just trying to get her to just go. That's what Jody did. She moved back to California to live with her grandparents. So once Jody left, Travis was relieved and just happy that Jody was was gone. Jody was working as a waitress at a restaurant that her parents had owned, which allowed her time to focus on her true passion, which was photography. And she also tried to meet potential partners. She would end up meeting a man named Ryan. Now Ryan also worked for the company Legal Shield as well. Well, she just thought, you know, that he was extremely good looking. He was also Mormon. He seemed very successful, but he lived in Utah. The two of them though, they would chat and keep in touch through MySpace. I'm pretty sure, not 100% sure there, but I'm pretty sure it was MySpace. But I do know that they were speaking and they were planning on meeting sometime soon. Travis luckily had moved on. And in February of 2008, he met a woman at the LSD uh, singles night. Whoa. 
LDS. I am so sorry. Sometimes I get the two of them mixed. <laughs> LDS, Mormon Singles Night. They have singles night, how fun. But he met this woman named Mimi. Now she was perfect at everything that he was looking for in a future wife. But she saw Travis as more of just a friend and not really someone that she was interested in dating. Travis though, he was interested. He was interested. Lo and behold, Jody starts reaching out to Travis again, calling him on his phone, leaving voicemails, talking to him whenever she got the chance. Jody would call Travis and have phone sex with him. Little did he know that she was recording the conversations between the two. Some people believed that she was doing this for blackmail, but who really knows why she was recording it? Something happened between Jody and Travis and the two got into a very big fight. They were going back and forth via email. In the emails, it, it was never revealed what the fight was about, but Travis was very upset and very hurt, telling Jody she was a liar, everything was a lie, and to leave him alone and never speak to him again. Like it was passionate hate. He was upset. Again, it does not say what exactly happens in the email and nobody really knows what that fight was about or what caused, you know, the last straw. But Travis was for sure putting his foot down. I had mentioned in the beginning that Travis had a blog. Now he had posts on there that were pretty targeted at Jody. It's eerie and it's just sad, but his last entry was on May 18th. It's still up and it was titled, Why I Want to Marry a Gold Digger. In this blog post, it's just about him adjusting his priorities in life and how he would only be dating to marry from now on. He described dating like a job interview and said, it's like, quote, desperately trying to find out if my date has an ax murderer penned up inside of her. Yeah, that was his last entry. $5.com slash makeup. May 28th, 2008, a burglary took place at Jody's grandparents' home where Jody lived. So Jody's grandparents had left her there and after Jody left, the burglary took place and these damn burglars, they only took one thing, her grandfather's gun, handgun stolen. So Jody told her grandparents like, oh my God, someone broke in, stole your gun, but nothing else. Like it just wasn't making sense, but it happened. It's random, but it'll make sense later. On June 2nd, Jody made plans to drive up to Utah to visit her new love interest, Ryan. So before going to her trip to see Ryan, she first went to a budget rent-a-car in Redding, California. So Jody is going there because she wants to rent a car, but mind you, this place was more than an hour away from her home. Premeditated suspicion. So she goes to rent a car and they bring out a red car. And she tells them, no, I don't want a red car. She felt like it would attract attention. So they gave her a white one instead. And off Jody went. Well, she was supposed to be driving to Utah. Her phone was turned off. She said it died, but then it was turned back on many hours later. Jody was supposed to get to Utah on June 4th, but she didn't arrive until June 5th. Jody called and emailed uh, and texted Travis throughout her trip. She even left a voicemail on the night of the murder, uh, rambling about making plans and how she was on her way to Utah and had accidentally driven 100 miles the wrong way. So when Jody returned the rental car, the floor mats were missing and she mentioned that there was a Kool-Aid stain in her car. And that got me thinking, I wonder how many times like people who work at rental car places, 
This is just a side note, how many times they see Kool-Aid stains. During this time, Travis was back in Mesa, Arizona, getting excited because he was going on another work trip, but this time to Cancun, Mexico. So Travis was working out, trying to get in shape because you know he's gonna be in a bathing suit and stuff, but he also invited Mimi, the woman that he was interested in. He thought maybe he could take her on this trip to Cancun, just as friends. He could show her around, show her a different side of himself, and hopefully she would fall for him. That was the goal. But a day before his work trip on June 9th, nobody had heard from Travis. He missed a, a, like a very important work conference and many found that very unlike him. He wouldn't miss an important call like that. Mimi was trying to get in touch with Travis because they were supposed to go, or they were supposed to be leaving to Cancun the next day and she hadn't heard a thing. So a couple of Travis's friends, they're getting worried. Mimi also is like, I haven't heard from him. So they decide to all go over to Travis Travis's house, knock on the door. They don't get an answer, <sniffs> nothing. They know the garage lock code. So they go and they open up the garage and they get into the house. That's when Travis's roommate comes out. He was listening to like music pretty loud and just didn't hear them at the door. But he asked them, what's going on? Like, why are you guys here? And they're like, have you heard from Travis? And he's thinking, Travis already left for Cancun. He's been gone. And they say, no, he's not. Like we're leaving tomorrow. We haven't heard from him. So they all go over to Travis's room. The door is closed and locked. The roommate gets a spare key and opens up Travis's door. So they open up the door and they get a huge whiff of something stinky. They look down on the ground and they see this huge, what seems to be a blood like stain on the carpet. So then they look around and they see that there is blood everywhere in Travis's room. Travis's roommate goes further into the room and that's when he finds Travis naked and in the fetal position in the stand-up shower of his ensuite bathroom. So Mimi, she didn't wanna go into the room. She saw the blood stain and that was enough for her. So she stepped outside and she calls the police immediately. So investigators, they go out to the crime scene, right? And they're asking all the friends, like, who do you think could have done something so awful? All of them were just quick to say, Jody, Jody Arias, look into her, stalker ex-girlfriend, she did it. Inside Travis's room, investigators were looking for DNA, fingerprints, hair, anything that could get to the bottom of this horrible crime. Now, based off of the crime scene, detectives knew that this was a personal attack. They saw that Travis, he must've really fought hard and fought back. And it was just an all around gruesome scene with blood smears down the hallway, on the walls, bathroom covered. It was bad. So Travis, he was stabbed a total of 27 times. 27 times. His throat was cut going from ear to ear and he was also shot in the head. It was determined that Travis Alexander was murdered on June 4th. 2008. While Travis's friends all knew that it was Jody, they didn't technically have proof yet. So they had to carry on and planned a funeral for Travis with all of his friends and family. And somehow Jody got word where it was when it was taking place. And this ballsy ass woman went to the funeral. She went to the funeral. That's a special kind of fucked up. Jody, 
Jody, no. Someone needs to tell her no once in a while. So around this time, Jody had called the station herself asking to speak with detectives about the case. Now she calls them, right? She's like, hey, I just wanna like talk about the case. And then they're like, okay, someone will get, get in touch with you. Click. So she was a little irritated because her call wasn't being returned. So she calls again. She's like, hello, yeah, um, I have some information that you might want. Finally, she gets through and she speaks to somebody. She tells this person, the detective, that she no longer lived there in May Arizona and she moved to Northern California, but wanted to be of any assistance she could be. She told the detective the last time they spoke was on Tuesday. She ended up having a 41 minute conversation with the detective about everything and also just nothing. One thing stood out to the detective was the fact that Jody was telling him that Travis had been getting fit for his trip to Cancun. So there was just no way that someone like her could overpower him. And most likely it was too people who took him down. This is what she told the detective. So the detective's thinking, that's kind of like a weird comment to make, but okay. So at the crime scene, there was a bloody handprint left on the wall. The blood was taken in it in hopes for like a DNA or a fingerprint match. Also, while searching around the crime scene, investigators came across a small like spot of blood on the washing machine. So they look at the washing machine like, okay, and they lift it up, lift up the lid. There was bed sheets, but most of all, there was a camera. A black camera was left in the washing machine. It had gone through the wash cycle with bleach, but the camera was taken in in hopes to like find some kind of information. The camera's memory card had been erased and the person who deleted them took five steps to delete these pictures, just proving that no accidents were made. If you have to take five steps, you know what you are doing. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what they're thinking. Anyways, on June 19th, the memory card from the camera was recovered and the first picture that came up was a naked picture of Jody at Travis's house. But get this, get this. It had a, a timestamp on the photos. Yeah, Jody, hey, babe, timestamp. Pay attention, timestamp. On the photos, it said June 4th, AKA the night of the murder. Case salt. We got it. Hold on, cause get this, cause it gets worse. So they they keep looking through the pictures. The next set of pictures were Travis naked in bed. Then possibly to kind of get him in a vulnerable position, Jody seemed to have gotten Travis in the shower and began taking more pictures of him. So a photo was taken at 5:30 p.m. Travis in the shower, water coming down, and he's looking directly into the camera like ooh. And it's believed that this is the last photo of him alive because the following pictures were photos of what seemed to be the murder. Yeah. The camera kept snapping, catching Travis on the ground, blood coming from his head with someone's leg in the picture. You see what looked like happened, she took a picture of him in the shower and then the next couple shots are like the camera falling. Like it maybe got knocked out of her hand. It ends up on the ground and it's just taking pictures. So you can't technically see Jody like killing Travis, but the timestamps, like it's all lining up. It seemed that while Travis was in the shower, 
Jody began her attack. He tried to get away when she cut his neck, dragged him back into the bathroom where she shot him in the head and then put him in the shower and rinsed off his body. She then deleted the pictures, so she thought, you know, and then took all the bedding and the camera and then put them in the washer. Now it's believed that Jody just simply forgot to grab the camera and she didn't mean to wash it. Something that wasn't recovered from the camera was a sex tape that they had also made. I don't even know if it really exists or not, but like Jody had asked the investigators later on trying to like gauge how much they knew when forming her story. She's like, did you guys find the sex tape? And then when they said no, she was like, okay, they didn't find the camera. Police go out to Jody's grandparents' house where she's living. So when they go out there, it's July 15th and they're there to make an arrest. The police connected the dots that the gun used to shoot Travis was the same caliber of Jody's grandfather's gun that was stolen in that random burglary, remember? So while at home, they discover a rental car that Jody had packed with clothes, two knives, a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun. She had a bunch of condoms and she was also sporting her newly dyed brown hair. No one knows where she planned on going exactly with all this stuff. I would put money on the new boyfriend's place. So they bring her in for interrogation. And when bringing her in, she's handcuffed and Jody was all smiles. And they asked if she had anything to do with it. And she kept denying, denying, denying. Eventually though, the detective busts out those photos that were retrieved from the camera. And they ask, or he asks, is this you? And Jody looks at this photo of herself and says, well, it looks like me. It's clearly a photo of her. She's butt ass naked. He's showing her this picture. She's, it looks like me. Jody said that she did indeed go to Utah. And when they checked with Ryan, the guy that she was supposed to meet, he said that she did come, but she didn't arrive until June 5th, a day later than they had originally planned. He mentioned nothing was out of the ordinary. Jody was all happy and seemed like she just, she didn't just murder someone, you know? She's just like excited to be there. Could you imagine a date comes over and you find out that they just literally murdered some, Mm -mm. So when Jody was being interrogated, she maintained her innocence saying, quote, if I killed Travis, I would beg for the death penalty. I don't know like why she felt that was helping her cause, but she said that, okay? The detective tells Jody that they found a bloody handprint on the wall. The handprint wasn't Jody's, but after testing the DNA, it came back as Travis and Jody's blood. So her blood was mixed in with Travis's blood. And then there was a handprint on the wall, which was Travis's handprint. So the detective is asking her like, you know, how, how would this happen then? And Jody's excuse was that her DNA was already there in the room, that's why. So finally, he tells Jody, look, it's game over. You are the one in the photos and your DNA is in the bedroom. All signs point to you. Jody's first question or response to that was to ask if she could clean up before she was booked. She wanted to put on some makeup before taking her booking photo. While waiting in the interrogation room, some of you may remember this. That's when Jody was doing handstands. She's alone. She's doing handstands in the room. She's singing songs and talking to herself. It's very unusual for someone being booked for murder. But Jody said that, you know, she was in the room for hours upon hours. She was bored. She's innocent. She didn't kill anyone. So why can't she do handstands and sing songs? She's like, you guys are being so mean to me. I don't know about you guys, but I've never been in a meeting somewhere serious and thinking to myself, 
God, I wish I could do a handstand right now. She's just strange, this one. Jody ends up getting booked. They don't allow her to put on makeup, thank God, because that would just be another thing that she gets, right? No makeup, takes her booking photo, sits in jail. The next day she comes back and she has a brand new story. This time Jody wanted to tell the truth. She said that she was at Travis's house when two people, this is according to her, she said two people dressed as ninjas in all black and ski masks came busting into the door at night. She said that these people were trying to assassinate Travis. She wasn't sure why, but she knew that they were after Travis. Mm-hmm. Ninjas. Jody said she was hit in the head and then passed out. When she woke up, she saw them in ski masks and heard Travis yelling for her to go get help. The attackers had gone through Jody's purse, so they knew who she was, her address, her parents' address, etc. She said she fought off one of the ninjas, who was a woman, and was able to get away because they were really there to kill Travis and not her. Okay. So she she gets away, she said. So the, the detective's asking, okay, well, why don't you call 911 then? And she said, because my phone was dead. She didn't want to call 911 in general because these ninjas or these, whoever these people were, they knew where she lived and where her family were. And she was afraid that they would kill her. So that was her new story, okay? Ninjas. The public became obsessed. I mean, it, this was a story with lots of sex, a good looking couple, people, oh, murder, sorry. People were heavily, heavily interested in this. When her trial began, there were many people trying to get into the courtroom and many people just waiting outside until it was over. So when Jody showed up for trial, she now had her natural hair. She was dressed in all frumpy clothes and she had glasses on. Many thought that this was a plan to come off as innocent, like she couldn't hurt a fly. And honestly, she looked like that. Like she looked like a little librarian. No offense, librarians. But you know, like the old school librarian with the glasses and like, she had like the crunchy bangs, remember? New librarians are cool. I don't want librarians upset with me. I love the library. Many believe that that was all fake. Jody said, it's not fake. She didn't have access to hair dye anymore. Her eyes went to shit once she got locked up and she couldn't help it that she looked like that. It's so frustrating because if you watch interviews with her, you want to believe her. And I don't know what that is. It's creepy because you're like, oh, Oh, she has a point. I think it's the fact that she talks so like calm voice and very innocent like, and you just, I don't know, I don't know. During the court trial, they put together the whole story, what they think happened based off of the evidence they found. This is what they think happened. When Jody went to take her trip to Utah, she filled up two gas cans for her trip from California to Utah. Now this was weird because there's plenty of gas stations everywhere. They were just trying to prove that this was premeditated. She didn't want to stop for gas. She didn't want to get caught on camera somewhere. Jody then turned off her cell phone so she couldn't have been tracked. Once she got to Travis's house, not sure what happened once she got there, but at some point he let her in. They took sexy naked photos and then Travis gets in the shower where Jody's taking more photos, perhaps convincing him that these are like sexy shower photos, art. Jody asks for the final shot of him staring right into camera. Then they believe that she stabs him in the chest. He steps out of the shower, falling forwards towards the sink. They believe he was coughing based off of the blood splatter. It's believed that Jody comes behind him, stabs him a bunch of times in the back. 
Travis, still alive and fighting for his life, tries to break away and heads down the, the hallway. And then towards the end of the hallway, he falls to the ground. And it's believed this is where Jody cuts his neck, drags him back into the bathroom, and then she shoots him, places him back into the shower to rinse him off. Jody cleans up. She puts the bedding and the camera in the washer and then leaves to go to Utah, turning her phone back on once she gets to the main highway and pretty far from Travis's house. She then calls Travis's phone, texts and emails him to make it seem like they had plans to meet in the future and that she's out driving. So during trial, Jody then takes the stand and once again, changes her story. This time though, she does the worst of the worst. She puts the blame on Travis. On the stand, Jody's crying, saying that Travis was controlling and abusive towards her. They asked, did you kill Travis? And she says, Yes, but that she did it because she was protecting herself. Because Travis was Mormon and they were having sex, Jody used this to prove that he wasn't a good person. Side note, I'm not saying that this is true. This is what was presented in court. You get it. Okay, so she's saying like, you see, he was a good Mormon man, but I have all these emails, MySpace messages and voicemails that prove he wasn't this religious man like everyone thought he was. Everyone thought he was this good Mormon guy, but behind the scenes, we were having sex. I have all of the voicemails cause she recorded a lot of them. Just trying to show like, see, nobody knew who he really was. Therefore, nobody knew that he was abusing me. There was one phone conversation she had saved where Travis told Jody that he wanted to tie her up to a tree. And then they used this in court in hopes to prove that he was indeed like the crazy aggressive one. Mind you on this phone conversation, they were uh, having like phone sex. And he's like, I wanna tie you to a tree, which is like, okay, you know, I'm not here to judge. Have your tree fun. Yeah, they tried to flip it, which is just, it's sickening. She said that the day of the murder, she walked into the room Wait, let me just tell you, this is upsetting. She walked into the room the day of the murder and caught Travis pleasuring himself. And while he was pleasuring himself, he was looking at a photo. Then she said she went, she looked closer at the photo and she realized that it was a photo of a little boy. She said that Travis got into the shower and she was taking photos of him. Then Travis got super mad at her, dropped the camera, which led to those accidental photos of the murder. He then tried to attack her, but was able to grab a knife, stab him in the back. And then while he was down, she ran to the closet because that's where he kept his his spare gun, not spare gun, his gun. So she knew it was there. She goes and she grabs it. Jody said that she blacked out. Okay, she blacked out. She blacked out. She doesn't remember shooting him, dragging him, cutting his neck. Nah, she doesn't remember any of that. The next thing that she remembered was driving through the desert. So Jody's new defense was that Travis was beating her and that he was a pedophile like the lowest of low. It's so upsetting. It's so, ooh, it's stories like this that discredit a lot of women who are being abused. I just wanna punch her in the face. That was her defense and he's a pedophile now. So during sentencing, Jody was found guilty and the crowd inside and outside the court cheered. Well, inside the court, it was, it was like little mumbles, but outside the court, people were just thrilled. So following is the day of sentencing. So Jody shows up. This is another like, oh my, I can't believe she did this. During her sentencing, Jody shows up with a t-shirt, white t-shirt, purple writing. It says survivor on it, survivor on it. Okay, a total slap in the face to Travis's family, who's mind you like right behind her in the, in the, the pews 
Are those called pews? In the seats. She goes on, tells the judge that she had this shirt made to show everyone that she was a survivor of domestic abuse. She's holding it up. This is to prove that I am a survivor of domestic abuse and I will always remember to just stay strong. It's just so fucked up. I could not believe that. I, I was like, what? I don't remember. What? Oh my, I told you, she's a special kind of fucked up. Anyway, so she's like, I'm a survivor. Mm. So the jurors, they couldn't come up with a sentencing for Jody. It ends up leading to a mistrial. Yeah, so a whole second sentencing trial went through and it ended in 2015 with another jury deadlock. In the end though, Jody was convicted of first degree murder on May 8th, 2013 and was sentenced by the judge to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now Jody tried to appeal March 24th, 2020, yeah, she's trying to appeal. I'm a survivor. But the court upheld Jody's first degree murder conviction and life prison sentence. And that, my friends, is the awful story about Jody Arias. Now, it's so interesting. I've watched so many interviews with her and stuff. She still deny, deny, deny. Girl, get a grip. Get a grip. Jody had moved around to a couple different prisons. I believe now they don't even wanna say where she's at. I didn't really care to look, but I did see that she moved around a couple times. She had a bunch of fans. A lot of men were like, eh, let me get in on this. Come on, you guys. What are you going after her for? There's lots of other women. You don't need her. Leave her alone. She needs to rot. She needs to think about what she did. Leave her alone. She needs to think about it. I think that she, just like Casey Anthony, I think she had been lying for so long that she actually believes her own lies. Rest in peace to Travis. He seemed to live such a rough, not a rough life, but he turned it around and was like doing, he was a motivational speaker and trying to spread positivity. Uh, he just seemed like a good person. Fucking Jody. I mean, what else can we say? Poor Travis. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You make good choices. Please be safe out there and I'll be seeing you guys next week.